0: Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace Church is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. Good morning, Saving Grace Church. Welcome back for another Sunday. Uh, My name is Joe, one of the pastors here at Saving Grace Church, and if you are a guest If this is your first time checking out Saving Grace Church online, welcome. I would like you to just take a moment and go to our website at sgcindianapa.org. And on that website, you'll see a section for a Connect card where you can fill out the Connect card. And we'll try to answer some questions you might have and get back in touch with you. And you can also sign up for our weekly newsletter. We know church right now is challenging, but if you are looking for a church family, we would love to help you out. Thanks for joining us this morning. Let's pray before we jump in to our message this morning. Father, we thank you that you haven't changed, that you are in control, and you are good and kind and gracious. Thank you that you sent Jesus to rescue sinners like us. And Holy Spirit, thank you that you are at work among us. Pray that you would fill me with your spirit freshly as I preach your word pray that you would help everyone to receive your word and apply your word, and we want to give you honor and glory. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Well, I'm excited that this morning we are actually returning to the book of Acts. We, as a church, began an Acts series called Go and Tell last September, September 2019, and we took a break here for the last month or six weeks and we were in a series called Finding Peace in Anxious Times. And so you can check out any and all of those messages on our YouTube channel or on our website. Today we're going to go back to the book of Acts. We we stopped the book of Acts at the in the sort of the middle of chapter 15. So today is going to be an overview message to set us up for next week and then we'll get back on track for next week. My main goal this morning is to reorient us and re-envision us for why the book of Acts is so important and so helpful for the health of Saving Grace Church, for the health of all Bible-believing churches, and for um, the health and vibrancy of us as individual Christians. It is a unique and stirring New Testament book that I I think you will really enjoy. And so since it's been a while, we're gonna do a tour today. And I want you to imagine today, not so much as an academic lecture of chapters one through 15, but if I was a geography teacher and we were studying the subjects of lakes today, instead of showing pictures of lakes and videos of lakes and talking about the depths of lakes, imagine you came to the classroom And I said, hey, we're going on a field trip. Everybody's going to be wearing scuba gear, and we're going to jump into the lake, and we're going to swim around, and we're going to look around. And while we're under the water, I'm going to point some things out. That's how we're going to approach the book of Acts today. We're going to dive headfirst into it, and I'm going to point some things out. So without um, any other preliminary stuff, let's jump in. And we have two main points today, and the two main points are this. The title of the message is Enduring Truths from the book of Acts. Enduring truth number one. Jesus' church is supernatural, unstoppable, and ever-expanding. Jesus' church is supernatural, unstoppable, and ever-expanding. And point number two, enduring truth number two. The good news of Jesus Christ is for everyone... And is to be shared by all who know him. So the good news is for everyone and is to be shared by all who know him. So let's jump in. We're going to start with Acts chapter 1, verse 1 and following. Luke, the author, begins like this. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day he was taken up, and he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after suffering by many proofs, appearing to them for forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water. But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So just a couple of things just to note at the beginning. The author is Luke. And the book of Acts is actually part two of the book of Luke. So we have the Gospel of Luke that captured all that Jesus did while he was on earth. Including his death and resurrection. And the book of Acts is part two. The story continues. God's work continues continues, and it begins with the risen Christ. And when Acts starts, we're in a waiting period where the disciples, the twelve disciples, minus Judas, are awaiting Jesus's promise of the Holy Spirit that will be poured out and be immersed on the twelve disciples and all who will call on the name of the Lord. Well, Luke, the author, he was actually a physician by trade, And the way he approached the book of Luke and the book of Acts was through careful research and notes. And through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he recorded the book of Luke and the book of Acts. So during this time of sheltering at home, a great thing to do would be to read Luke and then read the book of Acts as a whole. And you'll get the big scope of what God is trying to communicate through both books. So let's get back to our first point. Enduring truth number one. Jesus's church is supernatural, unstoppable, and ever-expanding. First thing we're going to look at is Jesus's church is supernatural. So a church, which is made up of a group of people that Jesus saves, is a supernatural thing. Jesus's church is miraculous. So if you are a believer in Jesus, you've turned from your sins, and you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you experience something supernatural. Another way to think about it is you, if you are a Christian, are a walking, talking, breathing miracle. You are a complete and absolute miracle that the living God created when you trusted in Jesus. He made you spiritually alive. So if you're with other people right now, and they know Jesus, tell them, look into their eyes and say, you are a walking, talking, breathing miracle. See, at times I think we, we, we think that you have to have a crazy story, a crazy life before you come to faith in Jesus in order for it to be a miracle. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Anyone and everyone who is born again, made alive by the Spirit of God, is a miracle. It is a supernatural thing that you experience. So a local church made up of people who genuinely trust in Jesus is a supernatural thing. The church of Jesus Christ globally, universally, is a supernatural creation. It's miraculous. And we see that in the book of Acts. We're going to see a lot of different conversions in the book of Acts. A lot of different stories of how people come to faith in Christ. But none is more miraculous than the other. We're, in a little while, we're going to look at the Apostle Paul's conversion this morning. Next week, we're going to look at a woman named Lydia. And when Lydia became a Christian, all the book of Acts says is the Apostle Paul was teaching... And the Lord opened her heart to believe the things that were taught. That was miraculous. So in order to persuade you, I want you to think about this. If you are a Christian, you've experienced a far greater miracle than a blind person being given sight, a deaf person being given hearing, a paralyzed person being given the ability to walk, someone who was covered in leprosy, a, a terrible skin disease being cleansed, you've experienced something far greater than all those things. You can look this up on your own, but in Ephesians chapter 2, here's what the Bible says. It says you were dead in your sins and trespasses and God made you alive. That is a miracle of God's grace. The Apostle Peter writes this in 1 Peter 2, 9 through through 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. If you're a Christian, you've been called out of darkness. Now listen to this second part. Once you were not a people. But now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you received mercy. Once you were spiritually blind to your need for Jesus. Once you were spiritually deaf to the voice of God. Once you were covered with your sinfulness. And Jesus shed his blood and washed your sinfulness away in the sight of God. You didn't do that. That was a miraculous work of God. See, in the book of Acts, and in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus chooses 12 men, his disciples, his apostles, to be the men that were going to carry the good news of Jesus into the future, into the known world. Now, if you're familiar with any of those men, you're, you, you know from reading the Bible that these men were not an impressive lot in and of themselves. They're like every other human being. They were flawed. They were selfishly ambitious. They were cowardly. In fact, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, they all ran away. Peter, who was one of Jesus' closest friends on the night Jesus was betrayed, denied that he even knew Jesus. Jesus. See, this was the future messengers of Christianity, and all of them were flawed and were not going to accomplish the mission without something miraculous happening, something powerful happening. And so when we pick up the book of Acts, we have the 12 disciples who really do genuinely trust in Jesus by this point and love Jesus And they are waiting for something that Jesus told them to wait for. He told them to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit that would be poured out. Look at verse 6 of chapter 1. So when they came together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know the seasons, the times or seasons, that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus rose from the grave. He appeared to over 500 people. The disciples were part of that group. And then he ascended to heaven, and he told the disciples, wait for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is going to empower you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So imagine concentric circles. You start with ground zero, and you work your way out. And the church of Jesus Christ has continued that mission to our present day. So the disciples were there. They were waiting, and look what happens in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all there in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting. So it would have been a very real, and loud, and memorable event that they're about to experience. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind The entire house, that filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they, the disciples, were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So the Holy Spirit is poured out. We know from Acts 2 this is a fulfillment of a prophecy in Joel. And the disciples began to speak in known languages of the day. And we know that because as you read through Acts, people were beginning to hear praises to God in their own native languages. So this supernatural, powerful event was happening, and the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus' church is a supernatural thing. Now, Peter was one of the disciples who was filled with the Spirit. Remember, I just said that on the night Jesus was betrayed, about 50 days earlier, Peter denied that he even knew Jesus. He wanted no association with Jesus. Now, in the past 50 days, that relationship had been restored. Jesus restored him to his calling to care for and feed his sheep, his people, But Peter gets filled with the Spirit, and look what happens at the end of Acts 2, verses 40 through 41. Peter just preached a very bold and penetrating sermon, and here was the result. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word, those who trusted in Jesus and turned from their sins, were baptized. And they were added that day about 3,000 souls. So in an instant, a megachurch was born through Peter preaching. Through Peter who had just been filled with the Holy Spirit, immersed with the Holy Spirit, cowardly Peter boldly preaches and proclaims the good news of Jesus Christ. And supernaturally, the early church explodes numerically. That is supernatural. One more verse to just prove how supernatural this is. In Ephesians 2, verse 5, the Bible says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So these 3,000 men, women, and children who came to faith in Jesus on the day of Pentecost all experienced a miraculous awakening by the Holy Spirit. It is entirely supernatural. See, one of the things that you'll see in the book of Acts, because they so believed that God was the one who saved, you'll see that they prayed a lot. They petitioned the Lord a lot. They spent a lot of time singing to the Lord, worshiping the Lord, and asking the Lord to, to build His kingdom. One thing that we can all do during this time of sheltering at home is we can pray. We can pray for every single person that we know who doesn't yet know the Lord. See, we can't, we can't awaken someone spiritually. We can't make someone trust in Jesus. But we can petition the Lord who loves to bring people from spiritual death to spiritual life. I'm going to give you a lot of homework this weekend. Here's here's another thing I want you to do. If you read Acts chapter 1 through 15, what you're going to notice is thousands and thousands of people become Christians through the first 15 chapters of the book of Acts. And I want you to read and look for the groups of people and, and see the connection between the preaching of God's word, the prayer of his people, and the conversion of many, many people. See, so you're going to encounter, as you do that, you're going to encounter Jewish followers who were awaiting the Messiah, who come to see that Jesus was the Messiah. You're going to see a paralyzed man who was a beggar. He was poor. He was asking for money, and then he was given healing and salvation you're going to encounter a fortune teller an african eunuch a hardened roman jailer and his household a gentile official who knew nothing about the true and living god you're going to meet all kinds of people from all kinds of background who the lord is going to grab a hold of and grant the gift of salvation And as we see that, let's pray for those we know who don't yet know the Lord. And in Acts chapter 9, and we're going to get here in a moment, you're going to see what is just an amazing work of God when the Apostle Paul, who was named Saul at the time after King Saul of the Old Testament, he's going to go from being a persecutor of Christians to a devoted follower and lead apostle eventually. That is a work of grace that is absolutely amazing. So I think you get the point. Jesus' church is supernatural. Not only is it supernatural, it is unstoppable. So remember, we are diving into the book of Acts. We're going to swim around. We're going to see some things um, a few different times from a few different angles. One of the things that is so clear and so encouraging is that Jesus' church is unstoppable, because Jesus is unstoppable. God the Father is unstoppable, and God the Holy Spirit is unstoppable. Well, the early church encountered many, many obstacles right out of the gate. Many obstacles, many setbacks. Here's just a few. Imprisonment was a real thing for the apostles and those who loved Jesus. And so they faced imprisonment, the the reality that they could be executed for belief in Jesus. And we see in Acts 7, Stephen himself is the first martyr, the first Christian killed for faith in Jesus. We see later in the book of Acts that James and Peter are imprisoned and James is actually executed as well. And Peter is miraculously sprung out of jail supernaturally. In Acts 5, we see that not only was there threats from the Jewish people, maybe the Roman government, but also there was internal threats and corruption. We see in Acts 5 that there was a couple, a husband and wife named Ananias and Sapphira, who gave the appearance of godliness, but it was all for selfish gain. And gain a reputation, and they end up dying for their deceit. We see that there is division among the Christians between their thoughts of should Jewish, is is Christianity just for Jewish people, or is it for? Jewish people and non-Jewish people who convert to Judaism, there was confusion about it and there was tension about it and there was division among the Christians early on in Christianity and that gets settled in Acts chapter 15 at something called the Jerusalem Council. There was also internal conflicts happening in the church. There is a conflict recorded in the Bible between Paul, the apostle, and John Mark, who was one of the followers of Jesus, who deserted Paul on his first missionary journey. It created a major divide relationally in their lives for quite some time. We also see that there, because of the persecution, Christians were scattered all over. But what you will learn and what you will see as you study this, is that every obstacle, Every setback somehow was used by the Lord to advance his kingdom. And so nothing got in the way of Jesus building his church. So that was true in the book of Acts. That's been true for the last 2,000 years. And that will be true until the day Jesus returns for his bride. So here's what I want us to have from the book of Acts is a confidence in the triumphant reality that Jesus will be, build his church. It is absolutely unstoppable. This is sort of a comical illustration, but I don't know if you remember the Energizer bunny commercials that there has been a whole bunch of them over the years, but the basic idea is the bunny's drumming his little drum, and the phrase, the tagline is, he keeps going, and going, and going, and going. The church of Jesus Christ is unstoppable. It will keep going, and growing, and going, and growing. Nothing will stop the church of Jesus Christ. We do not have to fear any new trend, any new opposition, any internal issues among God's people, any external issues that are being forced on God's people. God will take care of his bride, and it is unstoppable. Another illustration is just the way my brain works, is in my yard I have hostas, which are these plants that are really impossible to kill. And so on one side of my house, every Fall and winter in Ebbley, I put screen doors and ladders and Christmas tree after Christmas and leaves, and we have a pile till we clean it up in the springtime. And underneath that whole mess of things are hostas. And every spring, they will pop out and they will push through screens, they will push through leaves, through Christmas tree, whatever, because they are going to find the sunlight and they're going to grow. They're unstoppable. Jesus' church is absolutely unstoppable. One of the early major massive threats to Christianity were the Pharisees, were the religious Jewish leaders who were trying to shut down the church. And there was a young leader, a rising star among them, who was notorious for bringing harm to Jesus' people. And his name was Saul. We know him now as the Apostle Paul. But look at chapter 9, verse 1. This picks up right after Stephen was killed for his faith. Rocks were thrown at him to the point where he died. And the Bible says that Saul was there approving of his death. He saw it as a good thing. Verse 1, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. And he asked them for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, that's what Christians were described as at the time, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So in other words, Paul had a list in his hand, and on that list was a list of names. And he was going to go to Damascus, and he was going to look for the Christians. And when he found the Christians, he was going to have them arrested and bound and brought to prison all for their faith. So he is zealous for this list. He's going after them, name by name, men and women. Oh, they they love Jesus. They trust in Jesus. I've heard they talked about Jesus. And he has a list, and he's probably checking off that list, and he's going to go find that list. So he's walking on the road to the city called Damascus, and look what happens. This is in Acts chapter 9, verse 3. Now, think what he's trying to do. He's trying to shut down Jesus' church. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. And suddenly, a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? See, Paul knows immediately it's the Lord speaking. Verse 5, and he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter into the city, and you will be told what to do. And in a moment, in an instant, that really, um, for the next few days, Paul would be blind. He would be known as Saul, and then he gets converted, and then he's referred to as Paul. Paul. He comes to faith in Jesus because Jesus revealed Himself to him. He goes from being a persecutor to a man who would suffer greatly for the cause of Christ, wrote a lot of the New Testament, and was the leader of all these missionary journeys that we're going to see in Acts 15 and 16 and 17 and beyond. See, the very one who was trying to stop The church of Jesus was converted, was saved, and became the very primary preacher of the good news of Jesus. Nothing will get in the way of Jesus building his church. Nothing is going to stop Jesus' church. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18. And I will tell you, you are Peter, And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus will build his church. Nothing, nothing will shut it down. Nothing will thwart it. No amount of false teachers, no amount of persecution, no amount of internal struggles and conflicts will stop Jesus from building his church. So not only is it unstoppable, but His church is ever expanding. we am going to do a run-through of just a couple of the snapshots in the book of Acts. So we're still swimming around. Now we're going to look at the numerical explosion that's happening in the book of Acts. Acts 2.41. So those who received His word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. So immediately 3,000 come to faith in Christ. Acts 4, four, But many of those who heard the word believed. And the number of men came to about 5,000. Acts 5.14. More than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. So exponential growth and expansion is happening. Acts 8.25. Now when they had testified and spoken, The word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel, the good news to many villages of the Samaritans. So the gospel is spreading out, we see in Acts 8, Acts 9. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. The church was continuing to expand. And then the last one we'll look at for now is Acts 10, verses 44 through 45. While Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised, the Jewish believers who had come with Peter, were amazed, because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, even on the non-Jewish world. The gospel was growing and expanding. And since Jesus ascended and had his Holy Spirit poured out, the church of Jesus has continued to expand and grow. And it will continue to do so. And so during this time of our lives in 2020, the Lord wants to use us use our prayers, use our gifts, use our resources, use our energy, use our social media accounts, use our old school letter writing, use our friendly faces to be the means by which more and more people come to meet Jesus Christ. It's a supernatural endeavor. It is supernatural. It's unstoppable and it's ever-expanding. Second point, enduring truth number two, the good news of Jesus Christ is for everyone and to be shared with everyone who knows him. The good news of Jesus is for everyone and to be shared by all who know him. The good news is for everyone. We actually get this in the Old Testament. When God made a covenant with Abraham, He promised his descendants would be far more numerous than the, the stars in the sky or the grains of the sand on the sea. And we see throughout the Old Testament that God always intended to expand his kingdom beyond just the Jewish people. But it's for everyone. Look at chapter one, verse eight again. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Power for what? To be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth, the entire globe, every tribe, people, tongue, and nation, we are called to share the good news with. The good news is for everyone. Acts 2 says this, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone, anyone, who calls on the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus, I am a sinner before a holy God. Would you save me? Would you pay for my sins? Would you rescue me from the enslavement of sin, from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin, and set me free? Anyone, everyone who calls on Jesus, no matter who you are, no matter what your upbringing, no matter what you've done or haven't done, Jesus is your way of escape. He is your way to be saved. Acts 4.12 says this, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. He is the only way of salvation. He is the absolute truth. Listen to what Jesus says in John 14. I am the way, I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So you can accurately interpret this this way. Jesus is saying there's only one way. There's only one truth and there's only one satisfying life. And that's found in Jesus. You can say it negatively. There is no other way. There is no other truth. There is no other deep satisfaction that will settle you at the core of your being other than a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. This is why the Apostle Paul and the other disciples would risk life and limb to preach the good news because they so believed that Jesus was the answer. They so believed in the reality that a holy God will punish sinners like us forever in eternity. But they so believed that that same Holy God loved us so much that He sent a way of escape. He sent a rescuer, Jesus. And they so believed that that good news was the answer. Now here's the thing. If you believe in Jesus, if you've trusted Him, if you are a Christian, that good news is to be shared by everyone who knows Him. You have an obligation and a privilege and a responsibility to tell others the treasure that you found or the treasure that found you. Let me read Matthew 28. This is the Great Commission. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This commission was originally given to the twelve disciples. They were to bring the good news to the lost and dying world. But all twelve eventually died. And all twelve had the responsibility to entrust the the treasure of Jesus with the next generation. And that generation had the same responsibility. And so I have here a baton, a relay baton that is is used in a race. And the idea is you have runners that are passing the baton on to the next runner. Well, we have had the, the gospel baton handed to us. And here we are in the year 2020 in the month of May, and we have been given the responsibility of having the good news of Jesus Christ. And while we're alive and while we're well, our responsibility is to share that good news as often and to as many people as we're able within our own gifts and abilities, within your own um, relational network. But start with praying. Ask the Lord to show you the joy of your salvation and the responsibility and privilege that comes with sharing the good news. See, so remember, if this sounds scary to you, remember you don't do this in your own strength. It is never God's will that we just got to muster up enough strength. No, we pray and then we jump, we, we share the gospel, we write a letter, we send an email, we call a friend, we FaceTime a friend, we talk to a neighbor, and we, we take a bold step. Hey, I don't know if you ever knew this, but the most important person in my entire life is Jesus Christ. Let me tell you why. Hey, I don't know if you ever thought about this, but have you wondered where everything that we see in the world came from? Who made it? And we begin to take bold steps, but we do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So, as we get back into the book of Acts, my prayer for myself and for us is that we would catch a vision and the heart for what Jesus wants to do in and through us. Because Jesus' church is supernatural, unstoppable, and ever expanding. And the good news of Jesus Christ is for everyone and to be shared by all who know him. Let's pray, and then we'll just have a few announcements. Holy Spirit, would you give us strength and courage and empowerment to be bold proclaimers of you? During this time, would you give us creative ideas? Would you bring people to our hearts and minds to pray for uh, fervently? Um, Throughout the middle of the night, would you awaken us to just pray and to seek You and to seek You for the good of others. Lord, whoever it seems or whatever it seems is a major obstacle to You building Your kingdom, may we pray specifically against those things and for Your glory and fame. We want You to be exalted and honored in every inch of Your world. And we know you will be. And We thank you we get to play a part. We ask this in your name. Amen.